Welcome to the Cynthia G Uncaged podcast. And today we're going to be talking about white supremacist collaborators. These collaborators are very detrimental. They've been here for quite a long time. And there's something that we tend to overlook and not take as seriously as we should, despite the prevalence of them, not only throughout history, but currently. So I want to take you on a little journey back in time so we can understand why these white supremacist collaborators are detrimental, not only to our progression, but to our community as a whole. The white supremacist collaborators were around doing the whitewashing of Egypt. They were around with the more than Spain. The white supremacist collaborators can be found during the Haitian revolution. White supremacist collaborators were here during the inception of this system in America. They were on the plantation. They were doing the civil rights movement. And the white supremacists are now here as well in abundance. In fact, it seems as though we have more white supremacist collaborators now than we did in the past. And it's important that we understand not only why these white supremacist collaborators are around, but also how to deal with them. Because this is something that our community has been negligent in doing. Many people have the mentality that a white supremacist collaborator is no threat. They can simply be either rehabilitated we should not ostracize them because there are people and by calling them their other names coons and bug dancers sellouts uncle tom some people even call them bed winches we'll get a little bit into that later we are somehow collaborating with white supremacists many scholars in the black community suggest that we should embrace the white supremacist collaborators as a form of counter racism. Now this I disagree with because history shows us that the white supremacist collaborator is unrelenting that the white supremacist collaborator is dedicated to their white supremacist handlers. History has shown us that if left unchecked, which we've been been doing and not dealing with these white supremacist collaborators, they will single-handedly or within a group of like-minded white supremacist collaborators and in allegiance to their white supremacist handlers, completely destroy our community. And that's what's been happening. We have not seen true progress and we will not see true progress until we deal with the white supremacist collaborators. Before you can deal with enemies on the outside, you first must deal with them on the inside. Unfortunately, these white supremacist collaborators are not taken seriously. They're looked at as a joke. We see them as just a caricature and nothing to be worried about, but in actuality, that couldn't be further from the truth. So let's talk a little bit about the history of white supremacist collaborators. And I would define a white supremacist collaborator as a non-white person, most specifically black, because understand that due to the fact that a system of white supremacy is designed for the benefit of white people, white people cannot be white supremacist collaborators. They can only be maintaining a system that gives them privileges at the expense of our oppression. A white supremacist collaborator then can only be a non-white or most specifically black person who chooses for various different reasons, some that we will discuss, to align themselves 
themselves with the white supremacist power structure. They do this by submitting to both white males and females and completely going against their own interests, which is their community's interest in exchange for monetary profits or social status or a white woman or a white man, the illusion of white acceptance, a number of different other perceived or tangible benefits. When we talk about white supremacist collaborators, we have to go back to the past because those who do not learn from their history are doomed to repeat it and that's what we're doing we're repeating our history the biggest white supremacist collaborators in history from my perspective and many could agree are the moors the moors were africans who ruled different parts of Europe. But what a lot of people don't know is that the Moors were actually instrumental in building the white supremacist infrastructure. In addition to this, the Moors were known for also helping Christopher Columbus to quote unquote discover America, as well as with the importation of enslaved Africans to the Americans. As a result of that, there was a treaty established for the Moors called the Moroccan-American Treaty of Friendship. Now, we have to understand that they're the reason why there's a conflation between the Moors and Arabs, thus the name the Moroccan-American Treaty because these Moors were from various parts of Africa. They are associated with the Moroccans, i.e. Arabs. That's why many white supremacists to deny the establishment of power that the Moors actually had over Europe, they will say the Moors were not Africans, they were Arabs. And the reason why they're saying that they were Arabs is because the Moroccan Sultan, an African man, is the one who had the basis and the foundation of that treaty. This took place in, in December of 1777, where this Moroccan Sultan named Mohammed III, he included the United States in a list of countries to which Morocco's ports were open. Morocco thus became the first country whose head of state publicly recognized the newly independent United States. Relations were formalized with the Moroccan-American Treaty of Friendship, also known as the Treaty of Marrakesh, which was negotiated by Thomas Barclay in Marrakesh and signed by American diplomats in Europe, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, with the Sultan Muhammad III in 1786. This is one of the first known incidents of a collaboration with white supremacy because we know during that time in the 1700s, this is when this system was being formed where shadow slavery was going on. The transatlantic slavery was taking place. The Moors had an instrumental role in this. I want to read you guys something else to further illustrate how the history of this country is tied to the Moors and their collaboration with white supremacists. Now, this is going to come from the Anti-Defamation League. And recently, the Anti-Defamation League, in response to the FBI report on black identity extremists, decided to put the Moorish sovereign citizens on a list of extremists and terrorists. And we know 
anything that looks like it might be geared towards black empowerment is going to be seen as a threat to this country. It's going to be seen as terrorism. If you understand the ideologies of white supremacy, then you'll understand why collective black unity or the perception of that would be the biggest threat to the establishment. But I want to read something to you. It said, sovereign citizens believe that a conspiracy subverted and replaced the original U.S. government with an illegitimate de facto government, but that people can take steps to divorce themselves from the illegitimate government after which its laws, taxes, regulations, and courts have no more authority over them. These rumors were soon confirmed. Belief also extended far beyond the sovereign citizenship movement into other areas as well with the kansas city star unearthing sovereign citizens documents filed by long that indicated an affiliation with the wichita nation one of the many concepts associated with the so-called moorish movement or moorish sovereign movement an offshoot of the sovereign citizen movement that combines long-standing sovereign citizen beliefs and tactics with some newer primary afrocentric notions now this is what we really need to understand because it's all about validating the white supremacist collaboration of the Moors. It says the Moorish sovereign citizens emerged in the mid 1900s on the East Coast when some people began to merge sovereign citizen ideas with some of the beliefs of the Moorish Science Temple, a religious sect dating back to 1913. As sovereign citizen notions attracted more Moorish Science Temple adherents, the Moorish sovereign movement was born. While still retaining most traditional sovereign citizen pseudo historical and pseudo legal theories, Moorish sovereigns added new ideas, including the notion that African Americans had special rights because of a, a 1780s treaty with Morocco, as well as the belief that the African Americans were descendants from the African Moors, as often as well the belief that African Americans were also a people indigenous to Americas. Now, why is this important? Because it references the validity of this treaty with Morocco. So whenever we hear the dusty logic of we're sovereign citizens, we need to identify as more sovereign citizens. What they're referring to is this treaty, i.e. the collaboration between the Moors and the white supremacist establishment. That's why they also reference to you Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. This is where in this country, the first collaboration of white supremacists was born. These are black collaborators of white supremacy. Now we have a number of them. Like I said, we had them on the plantation. We had them during the civil rights movement, spewing all white supremacist rhetoric, claiming to be free thinkers. This is something that generally they tend to posit. They'll say that they are now in the modern day form of it. They'll take it political and say they are off the democratic plantation. They are free thinking black people. They have this new awakening. But what we generally hear is old right wing 
white supremacist talking points being regurgitated. This is not about free thinking. This is not about anything new and innovative. This is about white supremacist collaborators. Now, we know a lot of white supremacist collaborators. We know some of the most popular ones, Clarence Thomas, Sheriff David Clark, Stacey Dash, Jesse Lee Peterson, just to name a few of them. We know there are tons, thousands of white supremacist collaborators. There's the Stephen A. Smith as a white supremacist collaborator, Ray Lewis, a white supremacist collaborator. And while I believe that there are more black male white supremacist collaborators, we are not at a shortage of black female white supremacist collaborators. One of the most prominent ones being Candace Owens. And Candace Owens, she rose to popularity with her white supremacist free black thinking rhetoric in 2017. But what's mostly interesting about these white supremacist collaborators and similarities between them is that they weren't always white supremacist collaborators because white supremacist collaborators are created. They are not born. They are the product of powerlessness at the end of the day. We have to understand there is a psychology to why someone would be a white supremacist collaborator. But don't misinterpret understanding why someone is a white supremacist collaborator with over sympathizing with them and accepting them and feeling like they can be rehabilitated because if we look through history white supremacist collaborators do not get rehabilitated they are unrelenting and dedicated to their degrading position as a white supremacist collaborator it doesn't matter the status of the black community to some degrees they have a if you can't beat them then join them mentality and there is always an open position for a white supremacist collaborator but let's talk a little bit more about candace owens Prior to 2017, Candace Owens was actually what we would call a pro-black. Just like Jesse Lee Peterson, who stated that he was so pro-black, he aligned himself with the Black Panthers. Candace Owens was also pro-black. She called her awakening, her desire to get off the Democratic plantation, but was it really about her getting off the Democratic plantation or did she just realize that there was more financial gain in being a white supremacist collaborator than it is being pro-black? And there's a lot of truth to that. We live in a system of white supremacist oppression where the black community is severely financially stagnated. Some of these reasons are due to the choices of our people, which we'll talk about that a little later in another episode. But most of this financial stagnation is due to number one, being locked out of the workforce. We know institutional racism is very prevalent. We also know that there's a lot of generational wealth that we don't have as a result of the wealth from our enslaved ancestors going to white supremacists so that they can be the most wealthy people not only in this country but globally so most often you can find a black white supremacist collaborator doing so for financial gain but also 
Embedded in the psychology of our people is the desire for white acceptance and approval. This is something that I maintain that was fought for during the civil rights movement in which many of the civil rights leaders were also white supremacist collaborators. And our failure to recognize the insidious nature of these white supremacist collaborators, that is after they're formed, because again, they're not born so after they're created we have to understand then the insidious nature of these people but generally it's driven by financial gain and candace owens is no exception in 2018 the online publication buff feed reported that candace owens was actually the ceo of an anti-trump liberal leaning website called degree 180 Back in 2015, Candace Owens wrote that it was good news that the Republican Tea Party will eventually die out. She also talked about Trump's tiny little baby dick and him being a racist with an immigrant wife. Now, this website was shut down by 2016, and after that time, Candace somehow popped up with a new free-thinking black mind and a conservative outlook and became a right-wing pundit. Now everyone sees her co-signing white supremacy, talking about getting off the democratic plantation, denying the existence of police brutality and making dumb offhanded incorrect comments such as racism didn't exist until Obama was elected into presidency. Now, we will get into the characteristics of this mentality, some of the three primary key ones that is gonna account for this lunacy that she's spewing. But let's listen to what Candace Owens had to say during a Fox News interview. Uh, if the old way worked, I mean, I think there's wisdom to that. Oh, if if Obama worked, Obama. oh yeah. He's gotta be talking about if Obama. I if respect Obama, that. If the old way worked, <laughs> wait, 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 who came before Trump? Right, it was Obama, and Obama did a lot to tear this country apart. I do not remember when I was growing up having all of these race issues, okay? I really don't remember it. And then suddenly towards the end of Obama, we started hearing all of this rhetoric drummed up. It became white versus black all over again and i say all over again i shouldn't even say that because when i was alive this was not an issue it all became about race and i really do think that they were laying down the groundwork for hillary to run because they had already pre-selected her to be the president of the united states so they started using that awful name calling rhetoric which well, they fell short what did obama of. do that that dri drove backed up this the, race the police discussion. the police violence stuff he backed up well, the myth back the up myth the police of police wrong. it's the myth if of the police, police brutality i'm not done if he, they're wrong he, he, right. he added fire mm -hmm. he added gasoline to a fire that was simply untrue the the myth of police brutality as something that was a problem facing the myth of, the police, myth of police brutality, brutality. <laughs> 16 black americans during so you, 20 so you 16, deny that, that I, I deny, police don't brutalize black people and brown people white americans they do. white americans and hispanic americans Fine. are shot at a higher rate than black americans that's just so it was not a, true. it's 100% true. That's not true. Why are the jails you full of African Americans and brown because people? Because we commit crimes at a higher rate than black Americans. Oh, and it's, yes, we okay, do. That's, that's a fact. That's, that's, that's another true. fact. But I think it's 100% a fact. It's a researchable what, fact. I think it is. Now, you guys heard that news clip involving Candace Owens where she made a number of different incorrect statements some that we could go into but we're not going to go into that now we will debunk the myth of our community committing more crimes than the white community in a different episode we don't need to discuss that here but 
One thing that stood out to me is that Candace Owens, who is 30 years old, stated that she had never known racism to exist prior to Obama's presidency. Now we know that in this country, it is built and maintained on divisiveness and politics is no exception. Politics is extremely divisive, whereas it doesn't have to be. But when you're dealing with a group of people who are by nature divisive, every single thing that they engage in has to be divisive as well. Because the reality of it is, is all politics are bipartisan. It doesn't matter whether you are right wing or left wing, they are on the same white supremacist bird. And rest assured, Democrats and conservatives benefit from white supremacy equally. So when you see two groups of people who appear to be very divisive and going at it, despite the fact that we know that white conservative, white liberals, they both engage in, maintain, and benefit from white supremacy, it raises the question of why is there so much perceived divisiveness between them? Because you are dealing with a naturally divisive organism. But let's get back to Candace Owens. Candace Owens stated that prior to Obama's presidency, she never had any issues with racism. Yet in 2007, Candace Owens accused some white boys of racially harassing and threatening to kill her. She then, with the help of the NAACP, filed a lawsuit and received a settlement of $37,500 from Stanford Public Schools. Now, the reason this is worthy of being pointed out because it speaks to the psychology of the white supremacist collaborator. Again, white supremacist collaborators are created. They are not born. There are three key characteristics of a white supremacist collaborator that we must understand and i want you guys to get out your pen and papers and take notes so that you'll be able to understand when you're in the presence of and having a discussion with a white supremacist collaborator i personally i don't have discussions with white supremacists or white supremacist collaborators because i understand the illogical irrational mentality of a white supremacist and a white supremacist collaborator but if you do find yourself in a discussion with a white supremacist collaborator and you don't know it, here are some of the three key characteristics that will help you to understand and identify a white supremacist collaborator. Number one, their rhetoric defies logic. You simply cannot reason with a white supremacist collaborator. They know that they are being illogical, but white supremacy is illogical. And so the collaborators of white supremacy are also illogical. They are irrational and they don't make sense. If you listen to a white supremacist, as well as their collaborators, you will notice that they do not make sense and they constantly contradict themselves. This is due to the fact that the white supremacist ideology is nonsensical and irrational. The reality of it is, is that there is no such thing as white supremacy. There is no inherent benefit to being white. White supremacy is a social construct and a compensatory system that gives benefits to the only organism that exists that does not have any inherent benefits. There are no biological benefits to being white. There are no scientific benefits to being white. There are no psychological benefits to being white, according to white research there just isn't any 
So when you are an organism and you live on a planet with a number of different people, specifically Africans and people of African descent who have natural innate biological benefits and you possess none, then you need to create a compensatory system to provide you with benefits. And this system and the ideology that accompanies it is completely illogical. Just by virtue of calling it white supremacy when white is not supreme, that in of itself shows you the illogical basis of this system and the ideology. However, the white supremacist collaborators must take on the mentality and sentiments of their white supremacist handlers or else they are not fit for being a white supremacist collaborators. But what we must understand is any and all discussions with a white supremacist collaborator as well as a white supremacist is only meant to cause confusion. This is why they enter into these discussions because they want to dissipate energy, cause confusion, get you disoriented, cause you to be emotionally triggered, and then nothing get accomplished and they walk away feeling good about themselves and declaring victories. For example, we just saw how Candace Owens claimed that racism didn't exist in her life until Obama took presidency, yet she filed a racial discrimination lawsuit in 2007 which was prior to Obama's presidency and indicating that indeed racism was a fundamental part of her life as a black woman. Also, if many people are familiar with Jesse Lee Peterson, then you know Jesse Lee Peterson, a white supremacist collaborator, one that I've debated multiple times, claimed many times that racism doesn't exist. He said it during my debate with him. He said it during many other people's debate with him blatantly that white supremacy does not exist and racism does not exist. Yet there is numerous video footage where he is on camera accusing a white woman of racism. He did this as early as last year. Don't waste your time trying to educate or reform a white supremacist collaborator as they are a lost cause. What we need to do is formulate a strategic and effective means of dealing with white supremacist collaborators. We don't need to look at these people as those who can be reformed. Even if there are an exceptional few who actually can be reformed, the majority of them cannot. And there are simply too many of them who are unrelenting and uncompromising, which is our next trait to think about the minority of them who may be able to be reformed. But let's get to uncompromising. Regardless of how often a white supremacist collaborator is made a fool of both publicly and privately, the white supremacist collaborator's allegiance to white supremacy is uncompromising, meaning that they are not going to compromise their illusion of white acceptance and or their financial gain as a result of it by seeming to be understanding of their own plight, i.e. the plight of their people. Because understand that no black person can divorce themselves from the black community. It is not an option for you. It doesn't matter how much you align yourself with the white supremacist community, they are simply using white supremacist collaborators until it's time to discard them. If you look throughout history, every white supremacist collaborator has been used and discarded. Do you really think right now there's any validity to this Moroccan friendship treaty? No, there isn't. We've seen people who align themselves with the Moorish sovereign ideology have attempted to go into court 
and enforce this Moroccan treaty. And what ends up happening is they get fined and thrown into a jail cell. Because when you're dealing with white supremacy, there is no integrity. There is no treaties that are valid. So understand that white supremacist collaborators, although uncompromising, they are expendable. An example of this was when Ray Lewis, who is a white supremacist collaborator, in 2017 was seen kneeling at a football game. The white supremacist community seeing this as him kneeling in support of Colin Kaepernick, Ray Lewis, because he didn't want to compromise that illusion of white acceptance and the monetary gain that he gets from being a white supremacist collaborator, he immediately went public to ensure his white supremacist handlers that he was not kneeling in support of Colin Kaepernick. He was kneeling in prayer. Another example of this was when Stephen A. Smith who continues to grovel to this day to his white supremacist handlers, had done so even after being suspended from ESPN after appearing to show solidarity to Ray Rice, a black man, during his domestic violence case. Stephen A. Smith made a comment about women provoking men into violence, which we know that some of them do, and as a result of that, he was suspended. Because again, no matter how degrading the role of the white supremacist collaborator is, they refuse to compromise that position. And when you're dealing with a person who is uncompromising, unrelenting, illogical, and irrational, you need to understand that that is not someone that you can work with. We need to see these white supremacist collaborators for who they are and deal with them accordingly. That doesn't mean you need to go out and engage in violent acts towards them. But what you must do is let them know that you know that they are a unrelenting, uncompromising white supremacist collaborator and that they will be regarded as such. Meaning, once they are discarded by their white supremacist as handlers, they should not have an opportunity to come back to the community and then get support. Anyone in our community who shows, even in the slightest way, that they have aligned themselves with white supremacy should be handled as such because we've been dealing with this issue for far too long and we've always dismissed it as non-problematic and felt like the issue would resolve itself and they'll just get their Negro wake-up call. But there's been tons of Negro wake up calls and there's also been tons of white supremacist collaborators following those Negro wake up calls. So clearly the Negro wake up call is not loud enough to deter anyone from being a white supremacist collaborator. We need to deal with the enemies within our community before we can effectively deal with the enemies on the outside. But that has been episode two of the Cynthia G Uncaged podcast. As always, remember to love yourself love your blackness and love your people.